0: take your Bibles and turn back to Second Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We started this morning looking at this topic of profiting from the Word, and here in 2 Timothy 3 was our starting point. And if you have your outlines, we're going to Continue and pick up uh, on point four. But 2 Timothy three sixteen just remind us all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and we landed on that word, and it is profitable. It's profitable for us for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we profit for a specific reason so that the man of God may be perfect. God wants to mature us, to complete us. Furnish us unto all good works. And really today we were looking at the, the emphasis of the scriptures in relation to our sin. And this morning, certainly that, that picture of being under the debt of our sin. We looked at um, how that we profited from the word as we received conviction for sin. The word helps us, it gives us profit as we sorrow for our sin. And then also as we confess our sin as well. We looked at those, the dangers, of course, of reading our scriptures. Um, There are motivations that are out there. But certainly we want to go to the word intentionally for profit. And I was speaking with um, someone after the fact. Certainly, as we read the word, there are many, if you were to use a a tool of sorts and search the word profit in scripture you'd find other ways in which we can profit so this isn't the only place that we can profit but certainly the the thought is when we come to the word we want to intentionally read we want to intentionally grow we want to intentionally profit from the word and really set aside those things that may be fleshly maybe earthly and we want to receive spiritual profit from that um good so um well let's get look at let's look at the uh, point four all right let's let's start there um i actually i wrote something in there one, one disclaimer if we're truly saved right we looked at being under the debt of sin if we're truly saved it's like not like we're being removed when we do sin from the family of god we still uh, are convicted, we still sorrow, we still confess, but it not. we're not out of the family of God. Uh, we're still uh, in his family, but it's the grace of God that still works in our hearts. Um, all right, so let's let's start with a word of prayer, and as we see us on the black side, black seems a little weird, right? On the black side of the line, in the, that financial term, you're in the red, you're in the black, it never made sense with me, but uh now that we're on the positive side really of of living the life that's pleasing to God, let's ask him to illumine us or even even as we as we hear tonight, Father, your word is it's perfect, it is enough. Help us to be discerning as we read and as we understand there are things that we can do at this point. It's your word that helps to see show us where we are and how to get out of living under the debt of sin whether we're unsaved whether we're believers lord you desire the fellowship with us and we desire fellowship with you Uh, and as we open your word tonight help us to be illumined illuminated by your spirit Um, there were many many texts in that song that were like very helpful uh, into what we're going to look at tonight lord helps to grow helps to please you in what we do and we say and uh, Help this to be an enjoyable time and an encouraging time uh, for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So certainly point number one was spiritually uh, profiting in conviction. Point number two, our sorrow over sin. And point number three, we spiritually profit from the confession of sin. Point number four, this is where we left off. An individual is spiritually profited when the word produces in him a deeper hatred. Hatred of sin. So in this with this transition of out of the red and into the black, I thought of this as being on the Lord's side. We talked this morning, when we sin, right, no longer do we turn from God, but we're against him in a sense. Enemy, enmity with God. But boy, when, we're, when we confess, we're back in the black. We're really with him. We're on the Lord's side. And we start by seeing the instruction in Psalm uh, 97.10, Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. Ye that love the Lord, hate evil, and that's it's kind of like an imperative: uh, hate evil. You know, those that love the Lord, you might see that in your scriptures. Um, but boy, when we love God, we should hate evil. We've all heard messages, I think, of of hating things. But it's like, wait a minute, how can I hate but be still be godly or still be righteous? But we are instructed to hate. We're instructed to hate. Um, It was Charles Spurgeon that said, we cannot love God without hating that which he hates. We're not only to avoid evil and refuse to continue in it, but we must be up in arms against it and bear towards it a hearty indignation. So it's not just a passive hating. There's, There's an aggressive hating that needs to happen. We learn that through the scripture. We'll profit from it. As we look at the word of God, right? Ye that love the Lord, as we love the Lord, instructed to hate, we will hate. We'll hate evil. Uh, Just last week, we were given one of the tests or the evidences of a true Christian. Do we desire the milk of the word? Do we yearn to drink? Uh, I was thinking of another evidence of a true profession in this way. It might include, does our heart's attitude towards sin, does our heart's attitude towards sin, do we detest it? Do we abhor it? We even looked at it this morning. Is there a a natural recoiling against it? But in this uh, perspective of hating sin, do we truly do that? When the teaching of holiness is planted in our hearts, when the word plants holiness in our hearts, do we loathe evil? Do we loathe sin? Have we had enough of it? And maybe that might even be too light of a word. But we should at least have some disdain for it, right? A hatred, as the scriptures say. Now, in some congregations, there's a a rather loud, boisterous amen when when things are said. And other congregations, a little more reserved. When the scripture points out and it says, this is evil, at least in our hearts, we should affirm what the scripture is saying and say amen. We should say amen to those things. Even those things that we know, it's an easy thing when we know that's evil and the scripture says it and we affirm the scripture. We don't know everything. When we're reading the word and we see something new, it's like, you know, I never thought about hating that before. I never thought about seeing that from God's perspective. Do we still humble ourselves and affirm the scriptures and seek to learn and seek to learn? If we find ourselves in a straight betwixt two, it's like, I'm supposed to hate, but boy, am I doing it in the right way. I won't have all the answers, but I look to scripture. Let's look to the pattern of scripture to gain profit from that. You might have this flag in your Bibles. Turn to Psalm 119 with me. We'll be kind of in the middle uh, a few times. 119. 119 verse 104. The Bible says, Through thy precepts, we're looking at the scriptures, right? Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. This isn't just a, a, a passive hate. There's a, a choice to hate. There's something that you're doing. You're hating every false way. Proverbs 813 also says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And if you look at evil versus false, it's like evil might be a little more, uh, I can see that, but false might be a little less. But we're instructed to do both. Right, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And as through thy precepts, I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Not only hating the evil, but hating the false way. I think false was also in our song tonight, which was like, hey, there's that again. And it's not just the false, a few of the false ways. It's every, every false way. It's not just that overt evil. just like, you know what? This isn't quite correct. It's false. I'm going to hate that too. Through thy precepts I get understanding. We spiritually profit from the word by hating evil. Psalm 119 is 128. You might have to flip the page. Even as in 127, it says, Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Now, do you think that this hating is a thing that takes place just because we're Christians? Right, we were in the red, we transitioned into the black, but is it a natural thing to hate? We might have to choose. We might have to allow the word to work in our heart before we develop that hatred. We have to choose. There are those that don't choose. There are those that don't choose. These that don't follow God's word in Psalm 50, verse 17, seeing thou hatest the instruction, they don't love the instruction of God, but they hate the instruction of God, and they us my words behind thee. Instead of casting God's words behind us, We should keep them in front of us. Turn to Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17. When Pastor Mosley was going through um, Saul's life, David's life, we came through this passage. Yes, it's pertaining to kings, but there's the pattern there. If I don't know how to hate certainly those that don't appreciate God's word and they have it behind them. I've got patterns in scripture that I can follow. Yes, it's in the Old Testament, but all things were written for my admonition including the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 17 verse 18 verses 18 and 19 really the second half of 18 speaking to the king that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests the levites so as he's writing the word of God And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and the statute to do them. And if he learns to fear the Lord his God, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Instead of behind, keep his words in front. In Romans 8.13, the scripture contrasts those that cast the word behind versus those that keep his word before. I'll just read it for you. The Bible says, For if ye live after the flesh, and those are the ones that don't appreciate God's commandments, they're hating God's word, they're living at, they hate God's word, they live after the flesh, the Bible says ye shall die. But what about those that keep his words in front? But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Mortify, to kill, to put to death. So if ye through the Spirit do Kill the deeds of the body. There's a rather uh, aggressive nature toward killing something. So I think we have to hate evil. We're putting to death the flesh, the the deeds of the body, and we shall live. Till sin be hated, it cannot be mortified. You will never cry against it as the Jews did against Christ. And what did the Jews uh, cry against Christ? Crucify him. Crucify him. We'll never cry against sin. Crucify it. Crucify it. Till sin be really abhorred as he was. We spiritually profit. We hate. We hate sin. We hate evil. We hate evil false, uh, every false way. We spiritually profit when the word produces a hatred of sin. What about point number five? Okay. So our first... Right? We profit as we develop a hatred of sin. An individual, number five, is spiritually profited when the word causes a forsaking of sin. A forsaking of sin. Paul is writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.19. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It's pretty simple, right? Do you name the name of Christ? Depart from iniquity. Forsake sin, it doesn't get any more straightforward than this, does it? Yet the straightforward sometimes is straight up a hill, and that hill is called difficulty. one of the um I'm reading a book, The Pilgrim's Progress, maybe you guys have heard of it, maybe you've read it. Uh, John Bunyan wrote this back in the sixteen hundreds while he was in prison. Uh, it's an allegory that describes a man uh, and his walk. Uh, through life. Uh, the pilgrim's name is Christian. He starts in the city of destruction, and he's walking his way toward the celestial city. And of course, he's unsaved when he begins, and he's got a burden on his back. But he knows he's going to experience the wrath of God, and that burden is going to sink him down to hell. He knows that, and he wants an answer. He wants a solution, and he even cries out, what must I do? God sends evangelist his way, and evangelist says, Go to the cross. Do you, do you see the cross over here? Well, do you see that little light in the sky? Go that direction. Christian at least starts acting on what he does know. He's still lost, but he starts going toward the cross. And of course, he, he stumbles along the way. He even uh, goes off the path. Uh, and then God's mercy, God's grace, as it were, in the allegory, puts him back on. He gets to the cross. Of course, he gets saved, he trusts in Jesus Christ, he sees his debt's been paid, his burden rolls off his back, he's given a new set of clothing, robes to replace his rags, he's given a role, the direction for life. Shortly after that, he continues on his path, and as he's reading the scriptures to comfort him, he comes to a crossroad, left, right, straight ahead. And of course, there were a couple of others that joined him. They didn't go by way of the cross. They kind of jumped over the wall. And these two took the left, took the right, because the way that was straight ahead was up a hill. But as Christian read in his roll, he kept saying, but it says it's the straight path. It's the narrow path that leads unto life. And he looks ahead of him and he says, that's the narrow path. It's a narrow path up a hill and it's straight. That's the way I need to go. And he resolves to go up that hill. It's called difficulty. Now, there will be probably many. Our journey in life will likely be met with more uh, hills of difficulty, not just this one. What's the difficulty? Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It might be difficult. It might be difficult to forsake, But that's the path that's before us. That's the path that we should choose. We've we've sung the song, Trust and Obey. Just trust and obey. It seems simple, yet it might be difficult. It might be narrow or to trust and obey, but it might be right up the hill, who so confesseth and forsaketh. It's obviously a challenge, but that's God's predetermined path for us. It might be narrow. It might, it's, it's, but it's straight. We know that's what it is. Do it. That picture of forsaking, however difficult it might be, has really some unique characteristics in it. Uh, Just like Christian along his path, each step of the way separated himself from the city of destruction where he came from. And each step of the way brought him closer to the celestial city where he was going. So as we Forsake our sins each step of the way, we distance ourselves. We should, we distance ourselves from the sin that we're to hate. We we take a step and we distance ourselves from the sin we should hate. Jude 23 characterizes the believer hating even the garment that is spotted by the flesh. Do we hate the sin, even that spots our garment? Now, that's hating, but what about forsaking? 2 Corinthians 7.1, which should drive the believer, like Paul told the Corinthians, to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Do we see that stain? Cleanse ourselves. Separate ourselves from it. Get that away from us. Get it off of us. We mentioned several dangers of reading the scriptures this morning, and as we avoid those dangers, we intentionally read with scriptural profit in mind. Now. Are we profiting scripturally from the word? Does the reading and studying of God's word produce a purging of our old ways? It's supposed to bring a forsaking of sin in our lives. So as I read, do I seek to purge the sin from, of my old ways? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. So here's a loaded set of questions. Is it good to read God's word? Is it enough? Is it good to memorize God's word? Is that enough? Is it good to believe God's word? Absolutely. But is that enough? How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. He's doing something. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written in the book. So let's get specific. When there are instructions given to us, you can probably search in your Bible tool for any active words that we're supposed to do. But 1 Corinthians says, flee fornication. Flee from idolatry. Flee these things. Flee youthful lusts. We have to do, we have to take heed according to all that's written if we're going to forsake. Do we name the name of Christ? Certainly, a hatred from sin may make the task of forsaking easier. Can you forsake something if you don't hate it? M- maybe. But certainly, if you have a disdain for something, whether it's food, or anything else it might be it's probably easier to forsake it but certainly we need to hate things hate sin we need to forsake sin point number six an individual is spiritually profited when the word fortifies against sin the word fortifies against sin when i hear the word fortify i don't know about you but it's a very battle oriented word in my mind a a defensive posture Right? A reinforcement type of word. If we've grown to hate sin, we're instructed to do so. We let the scriptures dwell richly in us. We choose to hate. We learn to hate. We further forsake sin and we've gained ground spiritually. We have, but we don't want to lose it. We need to prove, if we're going to fortify against sin, we need to prove the word. For ourselves. So the act of fortifying is taking those things that are known to have good defensive value against that offensive threat. Think of um, in 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath. You guys can picture what's happening. As David goes to fight, Saul says, no, come see me first. And what does Saul do? Here, take my armor. Put it on. Take my sword. And how does David respond? He gives it back because he had not proven them. What did he prove? What had he proven? His sling, the stones that he took with them. Now, not all things might be this way, but why do you use the toothpaste that you use? Or the deodorant that you use? Or the foods that you regularly use or abstain from? we're comfortable, we've probably proven that it works with our lifestyle, it works for us. So in the same way, there are lots of scripture passages that speak toward a variety of evils, and all scripture is given and is profitable. The sword was an effective weapon. The armor was effective, right? Not defective. Did I say that? Anyway, the sword was a true, uh, Weapon of war. So was the armor. So was the sling. So were the stones. It's not that any of them were wrong, but David chose the one that he had proven. Many scriptures exist for us to fortify our position, our gain, our growth that we've had. Choose the ones that work for you, that you have proven to help you fortify your position. Now, we have to prove the word for ourselves, but we also have to match the word. We have to match the word against the known temptation. Truly benefiting and fortifying against sin should cause us to be careful with the words that we choose. You know, God's word, right? The chapter reference, the verse that we use to fortify against sin, we should match it with the sin, the temptation that's coming. So Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I'm trying to fortify my position. If we memorize, that helps us to, prevent sin from coming our way. Good. So memorization is a good tool for us to help in our fortification. It's encouraged. There are positive results. But here's the question, and I've done this before. Hey, that's a great verse. Matter of fact, I haven't memorized. Maybe you haven't memorized. Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Great. I'll make sure to tuck that one in and I'll use that. So let me give you an example. Physical fortification, so you can see the battlefield or something, and this group of soldiers, they advance, and they take whatever it is, they've, they've made an advancement, and of course, the person in charge says, we need to fortify our position. Fortifying is good, right? The, they were aware that they need to be fortified, so all of his subordinates go around, okay, we need to fortify the position. Hey, forti- fortifying is great. We need to fortify. But what's missing? They're not doing that thing of fortification. They know it's good to fortify, but they're not truly fortifying. Does that make sense? So let me give an example. What if I have a problem? I probably do have a problem. Um with my tongue, right? With speech. I just happen to lash out at people or whatever. It's like, okay. I need to hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin, right, with my tongue. Okay, I've got a couple of uh, of stones in my satchel. So the temptation comes and I'm like, Jesus wept. Okay, I'm still tempted. It's like, right, that, that verse isn't working for me. Right? I'm supposed to hide God's word in my heart. I hid it in my heart, right? And I just quoted it. Jesus wept. Well, maybe I pull out another one. Rejoice evermore. I'm still tempted. Okay, what about matching? the word with the temptation that's coming. It might be more effective. If I'm tempted about using my tongue or my speech, for what? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That might be more effective. It's matched well to the temptation that comes. Not only does it help, prevent, right? It instructs me. Don't let that communication come out of your mouth. Yes, Lord, I shouldn't let it come out of my mouth, but rather that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace to the hearers. Wow. Now, not only do I hold back, but God also says, hey, here's what you should do in its place. What about when I'm tempted to look somewhere that I shouldn't? Psalm 101.3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me we need to match the word with a temptation that we know is coming. We've grown in you guys have to make the list. I mean what what sins are you supposed to hate? What sins are in your life? What sins do you need to hate? You need to forsake. And now once you gain that ground to fortify, choose and match well those words. Choose the words that you have pro- proven, right? The the passages of scripture that have worked in your life. They're all good. But you have to prove the ones that help you prove the ones that help you. So let's quickly pause. Hating, forsaking, fortifying is all of it, right? We're all in the black, right? So we're we're out of the, the dead of sin. We're in the black. That's great. Is all of this really necessary? So think, think of it this way. I've discussed this illustration with my family before regarding uh, music and practicing. And maybe you've experienced this as well. So you've been to an airport or a mall and you've seen escalators or people movers, right? That, are, that help you, you know, move in a given direction. And maybe in your, in your travels, you see someone, maybe a little kid that this is kind of new to them and they're on the escalator and they turn around and they're trying to walk opposite the direction of that mover, right? So the escalator's coming down and they're trying to walk up up the, up the stairs. Well, as you observe that, they're kind of interested because they're learning some things. It's like they're walking, but they're not going anywhere, right? They're just kind of maintaining their current position. And when they stop walking, they're being taken backwards. But in order to move ahead, they actually have to exert more effort. And practices like being on that escalator or on that people mover Looking the other direction. If I continue to practice any skill, whether it's music or sports, if I want to maintain where I am, I have to do something, right? I have to keep walking. I have to keep practicing. Because if I stop, I start losing that skill. It's been 20 plus years since I've really been on the basketball court. I still know the mechanics, but I'm nowhere near where I was, you know, 25, 25 years ago. Can I still do a little? Sure. But the skill has decreased, it's diminished. But in order for me to pick back up again, I would have to practice, and to get better, I would have to exert additional, additional effort. Well, what about our spiritual fortification? Is it a fair analogy to consider that and fortifying our current position? I grew at a particular point in my life spiritually, does that mean I will always maintain at least that much progress? In reality, we probably often fool ourselves and think that this escalator illustration doesn't apply to my spiritual walk. I've made it here, you know, and we use that caveat, by God's grace, I've made it to this point, but I don't have to do a lot to stay here. I can just coast a little bit. We probably wouldn't say that. But what do our actions? Our actions speak. What do our actions say? Spiritually, if you've grown and you stop doing any type of Bible reading, Bible memorization, what's going to happen? Likely, we're going to digress in our spiritual walk. We've got another pastor we're going to, and I'll, I'll share something with you. But the Bible says to continue in those things that thou hast learned. Even if I want to maintain my fortified position, I have to do something. I have to exercise something. Remember one of David's uh, mighty men? I don't remember his name, but he was on a small knoll. I think lentils is what he was on and he was protecting. He was on that knoll and it said he fought so hard his sword clave to his hand, right? He had to pry the fingers off. He wasn't advancing. He was holding what he already had. Maybe he didn't necessarily fortify, like put things in the ground, but he had to exercise much effort just to stay where he was. If we fortify our position in Christ, our spiritual position, we have to exercise effort lest we fall backwards. In order to move forward, to grow an additional and significant work needs to be done, I press toward the mark. Turn to Psalm 37 with me. Psalm 37, verse 31. And if we're thinking, how do we let the word, how do we profit from the word as we spiritually profit as the word is working in us? It doesn't, uh, we're not far from that. When we read the first few words of verse 31, the law of his God is in his heart. Is he working to spiritually profit from the word? Look at the uh, end of that verse. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. None of his steps shall slide. And in the context of fortifying and holding a position, have you ever tried to hold a door and somebody's trying to get through? Right, you're leaned up against the door, maybe one foot backward. When the law of God is in my heart, not one foot will slide backwards. When I've fortified my position and the enemy, the temptation is coming, I'll hold my ground. But the law of God is in his heart if i don't recite those verses i'm not going to have them i'm going to have to work to keep those things that, julie memorization you have to work at it i mean in order in order to keep it um we have to exercise effort even to maintain where we are fortification personified is seen in this you remember joseph when he was tempted by potiphar's wife How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Fortification, that's where it was. He knew temptation. It had already happened before. He had to be prepared for it to come again. The word which is in his heart, he had the prevailing power over the lusts of the flesh. I think Rick mentioned it last week as far as the power of sin. I've heard it in the past and I try to remind myself each time it's said in the what in my future, right? Or when I'm experiencing it right away, when salvation is ongoing, when I hear that that phrase is like, that's right. Because when I was saved, God saved me from the penalty of sin. Justification. I was saved from the penalty of sin. Well, that's great. Does it benefit me now? Yes. Because I've been saved from the power of sin currently. Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies. We don't have to allow sin to reign in our hearts, in our minds, in our in our bodies. Because we've been saved from the power of sin. Jesus already conquered that. I don't take advantage of that often enough. But we've been saved from the power of sin. And certainly when God uh, takes us home to be with him, we'll be saved from the presence of sin. But fortification is something done in preparation for what's to come. You know, it can be done in the midst of the battle. If if you fortified and maybe they're starting to break through, you can kind of re-fortify in the midst of it. But the secondary fortification only comes because the first line of defense really wasn't sufficient. So think about that, uh, about fortification, hating, forsaking, fortifying ourselves. And point number seven, an individual is spiritually profited when the word causes him to practice the opposite of sin. Now I noted this morning I I, I borrowed this outline uh, from Arthur Pink, and so we, we could say, wait a minute, the word uh, we spiritually profit when the word causes him to obey, right? We're obeying the scriptures, but in parallel he he followed this, and it, it helps us to practice the opposite of sin. Uh, this morning, as we looked at sin. Now you'll see some of the uh, the reasons for sharing those uh, this morning about uh, reading our Bible and also sin, seeing a true picture of what it is. 1 John 3, 4 says, sin is the transgressing of the law. When God says, thou shalt, sin says, I will not. When God says, thou shalt not, sin says, I will. Isaiah fifty three six sin is rebellion against God. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now we read the word. We want to profit from the word. So when we profit from the word, are our actions in submission to him? Our attitude, we're supposed to hate evil. We're supposed to hate every false way. Is our attitude subject to his law? are our steps in the path of obedience. Psalm 119.1, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Are our steps in the path of obedience? As I looked at that verse, as we walk in the law of the Lord, what's the byproduct of doing that? Blessed, Number one, there's happiness that comes by walking in the law of the Lord. There's happiness. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. If I walk in the law of the Lord, am I going to be sinning? No. I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to be living righteously. I'm going to be undefiled as I walk in the way. Every time it's scripture as I see the way, first of all, Jesus is the truth, the way, the life. Uh, In Pilgrim's Progress, the journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city is often termed as the way, right? The the journey that we have as Christians, we walk, uh, even though it's in this world, we should be walking according to the word of God. The word of God. So what does the Lord require of us? If we're going to spiritually profit and it causes us to practice the opposite of sin, we're to obey his word. James 1, many of us are familiar with it. We're to be not only hearers of the word, but doers also. We need to be doing something. We can't just sit back and look, right? This is a very active journey that we're on. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Uh, I shared this with us this morning, the Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. We were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're not to sit back and do nothing, but God created us. He is uh, 2 Timothy three sixteen. Profitable, right? So we're mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We're ready for those works that have been before ordained that we should walk in them. A little more uh, obscure reference, but we should be familiar with this in uh, Micah 6 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly? with thy God. When we practice the opposite of sin, really it's our outward demonstration of our inward affections toward God. If ye love me, our inward affection toward God is our love. Outward manifestation, we keep his commandments. David said, make me to go in the path of thy commandments for therein do I delight. It's not a self-chosen course. It is a personal choice. When Christian found himself at that crossroad, he had a choice to go to the left, go to the right, or continue straight. But the role, the word of God that said, narrow is the way and straight is the way that leads to life, it's been predetermined for us. God tells us we're to walk in his word. How's our growth? How's our Christian power? Our pilgrim progress, my pilgrim's progress. Do we have a hatred of sin? Are my thoughts being formed by the scripture? What about forsaking of sin? Is my heart being directed by the word? How about being fortified from sin? Are my actions being sustained? Are my actions being sustained by the word? And am I living opposite of sin are my ways, my growth, my works regulated by the word. I don't know about you, but of course, this, this is day one of you looking at Second Timothy 3.16, at least from this perspective. So you see the seven points. For me, it's been three weeks or so that I've been looking, you know, meditating on this. And almost around every corner of this message, I found myself needing God's refining fire. If it's not one point, it's another now, thankfully, though, whether you're there and you're like, well, yes, or probably sometime in the near future, um, thankfully, we know that even though the just may fall, he can get back up again and continue. Now, it's not a reason to continue allowing ourselves to fall, but a reassurance of the faithfulness of our God when we do fall. For those of us here tonight, I have no doubt I don't doubt that the scriptures will be a part of our lives in this year. Rick said, here's a reading plan if you don't have it. Uh, Pastor Barnes was like, evidences of a Christian, do we desire the sincere milk of the word? The word will be a part of our life this year. I don't have any doubt whether we come to church and we hear the preaching or it's at home and we're reading. But it's to conscientiously and intentionally strive to allow the Word to see profit in our lives. There are dangers we can look out for, for sure, but there is significant profit that can be gained from the Word. We looked at scriptures and sin of today. Of course, there are many others that we could see as far as profiting from the Word. Um, Though a just man may fall, and I thought of this like we might fall. But God's word is there to convict me, to bring sorrow, and to help bring confession for sin. And as I get back up and I continue in the things that I've learned, I press toward the mark, the word produces these four things that we talked about tonight. It produces a hatred of sin, it causes a forsaking of sin, it grants a fortification against sin, and it causes us to practice, if we allow spiritual profit in our word, to practice the opposite of sin. I don't know your need today, but I think it's safe to say that all of us could look at these seven areas and say with an amount of certainty, that one right there, I could engage in today and have spiritual profit from it. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear unto all. Lord, your word is perfect. Your word is sure, it's sharp, it pierces, it judges our hearts, but you gave it to us that we would profit from it. And Lord, with each step we take, we can take a step backwards or we can take a step forwards. Lord, as we live in your word, help us not to slide. Lord, help us not to backslide, as it were, but we would continue in the things that we've learned and we've been assured of, knowing of whom we've learned them. With each step, we would walk pleasing in your sight. It's a choice we make. We can do it when we leave this building, but Lord, remind us early and remind us often, you are who you are. You hate sin the way you hate sin, Lord. You do. You desire to see us live for you, love you, and follow you. Lord helps us to do just that in Jesus' name.